Hello and welcome to Enlightened Empaths, your community for the spiritually awakened. This week is our community connection show where we get to share questions and stories that you guys have sent to us. If you'd like to share your own, you can always email us enlightenedempaths at gmail.com or you can message us on Facebook where we can be found with the same name, Enlightened Empaths. We have some great questions and stories today. Denise, would you like to start us off? Oh, I'd love to. Says, Hi ladies, I'm a loyal listener to your show and just finished the most recent episode, Connections with Friends, What's Next? I had a few thoughts I'd like to share after hearing you talk about figuring out what's next after discovering your spiritual gifts. I always knew I was sensitive and intuitive, but it wasn't until I was about 40 or so, I'm 45 now, that I really embraced my abilities and started learning everything I could about spiritual development. After a few years of reading, researching, listening to podcasts, and connecting with like-minded people, I realized that I didn't want to take it any further. I didn't want to stop learning or discovering things about myself. In fact, I consider myself a lifelong student of all that life has to offer, but I wanted to still stay in the world I already inhabit. I don't want to do readings or hone my skills as a medium or learn to row. I just want to use my abilities to be a better person in life and in the work that I do. I've spent 20 years in the education world, and I currently teach sports to young girls in a program where we emphasize empathy and compassion. I feel like I'm doing the work I was sent here to do. I'd love for you to talk about people like me who, although spiritual and intuitive, choose a more conventional path. I work with crystals and I practice yoga daily, and I do connect with like-minded people, but I feel so connected with the work that I do that it's maybe not considered spiritual. I think it's important to acknowledge that there are many people out there like me that when thinking now what can think about how they can use their gifts and to enhance their work and their life as it is in the moment instead of thinking they have to do something more. I'm in no way criticizing the show you just did. In fact, I believe many people are looking for more, but I also know that there are many people like me content in living a more conventional life, but we want to enhance it with more spirituality. Would love to hear your thoughts on this. Thanks for all that you do. Best, Jen. I think this is a great, great question, comment, statement, and it is exactly what we're hoping the show is doing is helping people step more into their own power, light, and purpose and it doesn't have to be about what's considered considered a traditionally spiritual path or business. Or I'd, I'd really like to think it's how we interact with each other every day and that we bring it to the table with what we do. Me too. And, you know, I get an email at least once a day from someone that says, I'm going through a spiritual awakening, now what? And part of me wants to respond by just saying, enjoy it, you know, like enjoy the connection, enjoy the journey. Don't necessarily always be seeking for a purpose in everything that happens to us. And I think Jen sums that up lovely when she says she's incorporating her spirituality into the work she's doing, encouraging and inspiring these young women. And so I definitely agree just because you are intuitive or empathic or drawn to spiritual studies doesn't mean you have to create a career out of it. What I think is so important is to embrace your spirituality for yourself first before you can even think of sharing it with others, especially in a professional capacity. 
I think this is also a great example of, you know, I'm always saying anything that I can do to lift my, to raise my vibration is going to help someone else raise theirs. And that's the answer to the polarity in the world. I believe that. I really in my soul believe that. And that's what she's doing. She's actually in many ways being, coming from a much more spiritually based place than a lot of people who may have a placard out or a business card, but they're not coming from a place of service. I agree 100%. And when we do embrace our spiritual path, it makes us content with the work that we are doing because we start to see that there's so much more to this life than just working and cleaning our house and running errands. And it brings meaning and, to me anyway, a little bit of magic into each day. And if this is, and, and she, she brings up such a beautiful point of it doesn't have to be about, it's who we are, not what we do. And I mean, for years I was in the closet and I had my rocks and my candles and my cards and my, and it was just, but it's who we are as empaths and as people and how we choose to share that. I, I guess it doesn't really matter. No, it doesn't. It's just that we do share it, not only with others, but with ourselves, that we do share with ourselves that we have this ability to co-create, to engage the universe with our spirit, to seek deeper meaning in our life, and to always be searching for who we are and why we're here. And that definitely does not have to apply to the work that you do. You made a really good point. What a beautiful, beautiful gift to give these young people that she's working with, that they are receiving that empathy and compassion and kindness. That, in my eyes, is, more, is equally as valuable as someone that's standing on a stage and sharing spiritual principles. It's I probably totally. even more important. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I just think it's so important to engage your spiritual practice into your daily life in order to find meaning and to have that sense of being anchored to something deeper and more profound in each and every day, right. especially during these times. You know, like I love to wake up and say my prayers and do my grounding exercise. I love to go outside and greet the day and I love to choose a crystal for each day. Sometimes if I'm battling with a decision, I'll pull three cards and I'll write it down in my journal. And then when that decision is made, I can reflect back on the cards I pulled. So I, I like to do all those spiritual things in my own life just because I find it keeps me connected, keeps me grounded. It keeps me focused on who I am and what's important. It's self-care. Yeah, it really is. Thank you. That was a great, great uh, letter to receive. It really was. Our next one is from Brandy. She says, I bought a few books that you guys have recommended in the past, The Deepest Well and Childhood Disrupted, and just wanted to say how helpful I found them. Do you guys have any recommendations for books specific to raising highly sensitive children? My son is six and starting to show signs. Being in closer contact with him throughout quarantine has shown our current methods of parenting could use some nurturing and improvement. Well, I think all of us parents in quarantine are thinking that. Don't you, Denise? It's just <laughs> very much so. We've got a lot of together time and we're starting to notice, hmm, we need more consistency or we need more spiritual practice. Yeah. 
So yeah, I do think there are some great books out there that I would like to recommend. One is called Your Psychic Child by Sarah Wiseman. There's a great series of books. It's called The Psychic Kid Series by Karen Block, and that's Karen with a C. And she has all sorts of little books you can get online that help children recognize their feelings, their emotions, their chakras, that help them to tune in in a gentle, kid-friendly way. Catherine Crawford has a good book called The Highly Intuitive Child. And there's another book by Karen Good, again with a C, called Raising Intuitive Children that I think she'll find really helpful. We've done shows on raising spiritual children, so I recommend she check that out as well. I think really the key is just accepting your highly sensitive child and nurturing that ability rather than saying, it's just your imagination or there's nothing under your bed or the number one thing I believe parents can do is just believing their child and always being truthful with their highly sensitive child. So if you had a fight with your partner, don't say, oh, we're fine. Everything's fine. Because your highly sensitive child will know that. Instead, say, yeah, we had a little disagreement, but we're working it through. Don't, don't you think that just being honest is so important? Because a, a highly empathic child, they, they know. They do. And this is, I don't think we've ever, what's about ready to come out of my mouth is I was going to say by empowering them to find that connection with their own empathy or their own sensitivity. You know, that's, that's our goal is we want to normalize this. We want to make it just seem like part of who you are, but not enable it so that it becomes an excuse or uh, a reason to shut down. So I think by working with our children and saying, this is just normal. This is the way people are. We feel things deeply or we sense things. That's empowering them not to. But I feel like there's that fine line between making it a hindrance rather than a, a wonderful aspect of who someone might become, be becoming. Yeah, a hindrance. That's, that's a really good word. I know growing up, I did see stuff, I did feel things, I did pick up on a lot of things. And my parents would always say, oh, Samantha, you have such a vivid imagination. And inside, I just wanted to scream, like, it's not my imagination. I saw something, you know, standing over my bed, or I did see lights around that teacher. And it was really frustrating to not be believed. And it made me feel weird, different, and odd. And it's the main reason why I hid my sensitivity and my psychic abilities, because I saw my parents giving each other the eye when I would say something or run to their bedroom at night. And I, I just never liked that. And I, I know I haven't done that as a mom myself. And I think it's just important to not quilt that, that person, that little person's ability that they have to sense and see things. Right. I remember watching movies. My dad took me to every R-rated movie you can think of, Denise. <laughs> I saw Death Wish 1, 2, and 3 before I was 10. Oh, my goodness. I used to watch all the war movies. I think I've seen The Great Escape more times than any movie. Uh, Bridge Too Far. I mean, all the James Bond movies. A lot of violent movies. And my whole family would make fun of me because... I could watch all these men get blown up in battle and be like, okay, 
But if anything happened to an animal in those movies, I would be hysterical. Right. And I couldn't, I couldn't handle it. And my family would laugh at me. And my dad would say, what is wrong with you? Like, we just watched 10 men get blown up and the dog dies and you're crying. What is wrong with you? And that question, oh my gosh, it was like an arrow in my heart. Like, what is wrong with me? Right. I, I never wanted to eat meat as a kid. It was such an issue in my family. And my parents would lie to me. They'd say, well, that's not meat. That's, that's fried flour. <laughs> oh, I'm not kidding. And I remember by every Sunday, my dad would make filet mignon. And one time I pulled it out of the fridge. He had it marinating. And I was like, dad, this is blood. This is blood from a living animal. I'm not eating this. And he was like, that's my red wine marinade. (laughs) (laughs) It was awful. And I just basically had to eat meat. It was to the point where my mom would say, you can eat anything you want as long as you eat what's on the table. Eat whatever you want first. So I would have like half a candy bar and then I'd have to sit down and eat the filet or the chicken roast or whatever. But I was never allowed to be. Does that make sense? I was never allowed to be who I really was. And, and that's I, I, huge. It's huge. And I think highly intuitive, sensitive children, they need to be allowed to be. My daughter went through a vegetarian phase and I was all for it. I was like, absolutely. I have two carnivores in the family. I'll make meat for them. And you and I can have you know, all these non-meat meals. That's great. And she lasted for about six months, and then she wanted to go back to eating meat. And I was like, that's great, too. I just think we need to accept our kids where they are. Right. And, and help them learn to validate their own inner knowing and light through that sensitivity, rather than feeling they have to hide it or explain it or defend it. Yeah, yeah. Because I think that's something that, that never leaves you, you right. know? And we're all, like, at least me, I'm always trying to convince my parents, you know, of, of who I am and, and what I can do. I mean, my mom is expressing fear of the afterlife now as she's getting older. And so I'm constantly sharing stories with her from my readings of what I've learned. And she's like, I don't know. How do you know that's true? You do have a good imagination, Samantha. And I'm like, <laughs> holy shit, lady. Like, how could I have known this, this, and that? And she's like, I don't know. I don't know. I just, I don't trust all of it. What if we die and we're just in that coffin? That's her, that's her new mantra. Oh my. Yeah. And so I'm sharing her all these stories of readings I've done where there's no way I could have known, you know, there's just right. there's no way I could have known no matter how amazing my imagination is. There's, there's no way I could have known that this situation occurred and and she's like, I don't know. So some people, you know, you're just never going to convince. They just hug themselves in their, in their ideology. But for a child, I think those messages stay with us. Yes, I agree. Remember I told you the story. I prayed for the, for my house. We could not afford my house. Right. It was way, way over what we'd been approved for, but I was hell bent on having this house. So I did my nine day novena to mother Mary because she never, ever abandons me. Sure enough, I got the house for the price we could afford. It is my Mary miracle. Mm -hmm. And when we were digging 
to plant bushes by the front of the house, my brother-in-law said, Samantha, who the hell did you say you prayed to to get this house? I said, Mary. And he goes, holy shit, come here. So I go over and four feet into the ground, because we bought big full bushes, so we had to dig a big hole. There's a pair of plastic rosary beads. Wow. My first thought wasn't, oh, let me pause and say a prayer of gratitude to Mary. Nope. My first thought was, I've got to call my dad. This will convince him. <laughs> so I ran into the kitchen, grabbed the phone, and I called dad, and, and he said, oh, well, Samantha, I'm sure some construction worker had it in his back pocket, and he dropped it. Now, I ask all of you, how many of you know construction workers who carry rosary beads dangling from their back pocket of their jeans and that they get lost four feet in the ground? How possible? I haven't seen a lot of that. I haven't either. So, you, you know, there's just some people you can't convince. But, you know, I was, what, 24, 25 when that happened? And still my first thought was, let me show dad. This will convince him. Mm-hmm. So I just think parents need to remember that the messages they tell their children, they're the first messages they hear, and they're the first messages they hear from someone they trust and love. So they get embedded in their soul. I, just a real quick addition to that is I listened to this uh, webinar the other day, and the man was talking about how until we until we rewrite the stories we've been told, like we can rewrite those stories and reprogram our subconscious. If not, we're going to keep believing them and living that truth. And I think sometimes we have the best of intentions with the stories we tell our children or the ones that were told to us, but we may come to a point in our lives where we say that story doesn't fit for me anymore and I need to rewrite the script. Well said. Totally agree. Okay, our next one. I had a disturbing vision of an unspecified world conflict in which images of soldiers marching on suburban streets, blackouts, no electricity, and fear in the air were appearing in front of me as they would on a screen. There was no more visual information, but I heard a kind and reassuring voice saying, don't worry, it's only three days and three nights. Prepare and store food and water, don't leave the house. As long as you don't leave the house, you'll be okay. The vision is not that unusual if you think of what's happening around the world right now, but here's the unusual part. Almost two months later, my brother who lives in Canada and who, and with whom I don't have much contact called me and told me about having the same vision of the three days. He saw many of the same elements and heard this, the voice warning him about staying in for the three days. We both had these visions while awakening after a restless night, not dreaming. My take on it is that there is a lot of fear in the air right now, and somehow my brother and I are picking up on the collective consciousness. Since we were raised Catholic, our fears probably have to show as more apocalyptic, but this is only one explanation. I, I read a lot. I pay attention to the collective consciousness it amazes me with, I'm going to divert to something a little more positive, or why am I experiencing similar feelings, emotions, or thoughts as someone that I'm talking to in a different country or a different part of the states who our demographic is different, our lives are different, our age is different, what, but we're, we're experiencing that same energy. So I, I really do believe in, in the collective uh, consciousness. I think the 
point that this writer made of there being so much fear right now. And, and I've said this before, and I will say it again, if you can keep people afraid or angry, you can control them. And I think there is a lot of subtle things happening and not so subtle things happening that we're all trying to make sense of right now. This may be a scenario or it may not, but I think the fact that she and her brother both got the same message without any contact with each other and heard that voice, was that something coming from someone in their ancestral line as a warning or as a wake-up call or this, I, I feel really strongly about not, not perpetuating a fear-based mentality by putting that energy out into the universe. But I also think being aware of what's going on around you is vitally important as well. Yeah, I think those are really good points. Now, I just have to say, as a Catholic, Denise, my first thought was, holy crap, because the three-day thing, you know, there's that belief that when the apocalypse comes, we'll have three days of darkness. Mm -hmm. But I agree that this is tapping into the collective fear, and I have a quick story to share. Remember the whole 2012 thing, the world was going to end in 2012? Yes, calendar, yes. Yeah. Okay, so I was listening to a podcast on Darkness Radio. They had this guy on, Adam Bly, and he was talking about, you know, the end of the world and what it will be. And he said, yeah, it'll be three days of darkness. The only candle that can be lit during this three-day time is a blessed candle. And I'm like, what? I don't have a blessed candle. What the heck is a blessed candle? <laughs> and he said... And then I literally thought, oh my gosh, I have all my kids' baptism candles and those were blessed. I mean, that's how caught up in the fear I was. And then the host asked him, well, how will we know we're in end times? And he said, well, Damascus will, will be hit in some way. Now, I'm smart with English and history, right? I'm mm -hmm. not so smart with geography or math or science. So I'm thinking, Damascus, where's Damascus? And I Google it and it's Syria. Mm -hmm. And the next day, Syria gets attacked, literally, after I heard, heard this podcast. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I need a blessed candle. My daughter comes home from school. She was getting prepared for her first communion. And she said, mommy, look what we made today. We made these beautiful candles. And then Father Steve came in and blessed them all. Oh, wow. <laughs> and I was like, that's it. The world is ending. This is terrible. What am I going to do? Well, we all know that was eight years ago. The world did not end. We are fine. So I just want to say that it is so easy to tap into that collective fear. And yeah, it's repeating again now. It's everywhere. I know I've had a really hard time sleeping at night this whole summer. Mm -hmm. I'm fine and happy and great and bouncing along during the day. I'm avoiding the news as much as possible. I kind of bite it off in small doses, but I do not watch it at night no. yet. And you should see my, my bedside table, Denise. I've got my rosaries. I've got my crystal spray. I've got my kyanite, and I've got a stack of angel books because I love to fall asleep reading stories of miraculous healings and angel sightings. And even with all of that, I just lay in bed and I'm like, what's going to happen? When are my kids ever going to go back to school? Are they going to have to take some creepy weird vaccine that hasn't been tested on enough humans? What's going to happen in November? 
what's going to happen with all the unrest? Where are we going as a country? When will there be peace and justice? And on and on and on. And the only way I can get through that is to ask Archangel Michael to walk through my home and vacuum up all anxiety and worry. The minute I say that prayer, I fall asleep. Wow. But I do think if I'm tapping into that as an empath and our listeners tapping into that, I think many, many, many people are as well. And this always reminds me of that tulpa theory. You know, that Tibetan belief that we can create things, including people, with our mind. Yes. Like that wonderful woman, um, Alexandra Davis, I believe, who went to Tibet and studied how to create a tulpa, and she created a little monk named, was it Philip? Ooh, I haven't read that book in a while. But that is true, that we can create things. And so then sometimes I lay in bed and I'm like, what if we're just creating all this fear? And what if we're going to create more upset by focusing on it? So then I have to unfocus on it. And then I go on and on and spiral down. So I have to get back into my prayer, my meditation, holding on to my kyanite, and then I'm all good. But I, I think those, if I had that dream and then my brother had that dream, I would be freaked out too, wouldn't you? Yes. Yes, and this, this is another form of that collective consciousness is I've talked to a few people recently and there's I've, over the last several months there's been a lot of old random uh, memories, thoughts, loop tapes, negative interactions with people, things we thought we've put to rest and they've been kind of popping. I mean, you're washing the dishes and all of a sudden having a vivid memory or recall of something that might have been less than pleasant. And so, you know, a lot of past action stuff that seems to be hitting people right now. And what I've noticed is, again, this goes back to my theory of, you know, that polarity, that that's a way to kind of throw us off. So if you're shining a bright light, but you're focusing on that, that dark or that past or that negativity, it's taking you away from shining a little bit more brightly and raising your vibration. Equally, there's so much unrest and fear and concern about what's coming, what might be, what could be. Is there going to be an economic collapse? Is there going to be unrest? Is there going to be, you know, all of these things. And this is global. This isn't, none of us get to hold this one to our own. This is everywhere. So really, all we can do is fully try, what, what's been helping me a lot and some other folks I've talked to is, really focusing on being very, very, very present. Like feel the roots in your feet. Feel the, the, feel the fan breeze on your face. Swallow the water and feel it going into your body. There's, and really redirecting your energy to being fully as present as possible. And that seems to be a huge, huge help for a lot of us right now. You know, we had a listener to my other podcast, Psychic Teachers, and she was writing how she was dealing with postpartum depression. And the only thing that got her out of it was decorating cakes. And I just, I don't know, I just loved that because I thought, you know, anytime we engage something that is creative, that is present moment, that makes us happy, no matter what it is. It, it, decorating a cake, for me, it was decorating my kids' snack bags when they were younger. That made me so damn happy. Whatever we can do now, however frivolous it might seem, in the moment, like I know when I was pulling out all my markers at the dining room table and drawing those snack bags, I thought, gosh, you're such an idiot right now. But I loved it. It made me happy. It made my kids happy. So I kept doing it. And I'm sure that lovely listener was like, why am I decorating all these cakes? 
but it made her happy and it got her out of a dark place. And so I think anything we do right now that brings us that joy doesn't have to bring us a paycheck. It doesn't have to, you know, significantly enhance humankind. It just has to bring us joy in that moment that we're doing it. That's what we need to hold on to. Yes, I agree. That's very, very well said. Although I will say, I still have that blessed candle. (laughs) Just in case. Just in case. (laughs) Okay, our next question says, Hello, Denise and Samantha. My best friend and I recently received a reading from Denise. One of the first things mentioned is how close we are, more like sisters than friends. The reading was a gift from Amanda, so in best friend fashion, I had to show my thanks. I ordered myself and Amanda a Rock Your Number report from Samantha. Amanda is definitely more interested in learning numerology than I, so it was the perfect gift of thanks to her, and I loved the information in mine as well. We received the reports and quickly noticed we were both born on a seven-day We both have the same personality number of nine. We're both life path 33 and year number four. The only difference was my karma number 16. Amanda and I met at a very young age at a Girl Scout summer camp. A few years later, we met again, this time visiting our dads who were incarcerated together, waving across the prison room at one another. And the next meeting was when we entered middle school and basically we've been best friends since. We've been through a lot together, a lot of happy moments, a lot of sad moments. I truly don't believe we could have got through some of it without the other. There is a very strong connection between us where we finish each other's sentences. We think of things at the same time. We can feel when something is wrong with the other. We know what the other is thinking. We even show up to places dressed alike without knowing it, very much twin-like. We believe we could be twin flames or soul family. Sometimes we feel as though we are the same person. Is there a relation to our numbers being exactly the same in how we feel, or are we thinking too much into it? We are both highly sensitive, intuitive. We strongly believe we are here with a purpose to help and heal, but in different ways, still working as a team. We need clarity, advice, suggestions, anything, because we have thought we were just crazy. Denise helped us work through a lot of this, but there are still many questions, and we don't know where to start to look for answers. Is there a way to know if this is a common thing? For two people with the same numbers to be so close and feel their purpose entwined somehow, to walk a lot of the same life path. Thank you so much for the podcast, the reading, and the numerology report. It has opened us up to a lot of ideas, however, also a lot of questions. Any suggestions or advice we would be forever grateful for. Thanks, Rachel and Amanda. Well, thank you for that beautiful email. I love that you two had so much in common with your numbers. I definitely think there's a correlation. I strongly feel you guys are part of the same soul family. And I think recognizing that and honoring that is going to be so crucial as you continue your beautiful friendship together. The fact that you guys have so much in common, not only with your interest and your numbers, but also with aspects of your childhood. I mean, having both fathers incarcerated, that's, that's such a bonding thing. I believe that when we have friends who are from our soul family, that we have agreed to come into this life together and be wings for each other so we can help one another fly. And I think if you start to notice where you guys weave in and out of each other's lives, you will start to see this. I have a quick story to share. I have a very, very dear friend who I feel is part of my soul family 
we met, our kids were in the same gymnastics class when they were three. And, you know, I'm like Denise, I'm a pretty shy person, but I instantly felt comfortable around this woman. Now, this woman is also very, very shy. And she later said she instantly felt comfortable with me. And she invited me to join her play group. And I didn't know until I joined the group, but it was a closed group. Like they were a good locked in set of friends and had agreed not to invite new members. But she just went ahead and invited me. And it was huge for me because I think young moms, you know, we need that support. Well, three months after we met, her father died and it was super unexpected. And her husband was out of town and we'd only known each other three months, but you know, we were instantly there for each other. I helped take care of her kids and her dog when she had to fly for the funeral. And and it was just a lovely bonding moment. And three months after her dad died, my husband at the time, Mike, was shot in the line of duty. I don't think she left my side that whole summer. She was either with me at the hospital or taking care of my kids. And every major event in our life since, we've always woven that event together. It's just amazing. So one day, this is a while, maybe we've been friends now for uh, 16 years. So this was probably 10 years into our friendship. I felt comfortable enough to tell her. I said, you know, when I was a kid, I used to have this recurring weird dream and I wish I could remember more about it. But at least once a week, I had this dream that I was in this place for like kids. It was like... um like a rec center for kids in heaven or something. And I would always play uh, pinball and I'm in life. I'm not a pinball player at all. Or I'd play, um, what's that called? Tennis table, Denise, where you'd knock the ping ball. Pong. Ping pong. Thank you. Yeah. Um, and I said, and there was this big fireplace and we'd all sit around in this one center and tell stories and laugh. And sometimes we'd go outside anyway. I, and the whole time I'm telling her, I'm like, why am I telling her this story? And as I get into details of the dream, she started finishing my sentences and saying, yeah, and there was a kitchen in the back and there was that weird kid. And I'm like, what? And she said, Samantha, I had the same dream as a kid. Ooh. Yeah. Ooh, that's so cool. Wild. So I think that she and I have always been friends. And I think that we somehow on some astral plane met up at this place. I clearly can't describe very well. But she recognized it. She knew it. She had dreamt of it. I love that. Yeah. And I, I think there are, this, again, personal theory, I think there are people we connect with in most of our lifetimes, if not every lifetime. And it's almost like we check in. Are you doing okay? Yeah, I'm doing all right. What can I do to help you? We kind of help each other get through. And even if that's something I've made up in my head, I love the thought of it. Because... No. I don't think it is anything you made up. I think it is true. I mean, look at, I met my friend Deb just as I was starting to accept my intuitive abilities. Mm -hmm. And she was a huge help to me in that. I met you just as I was starting to think, okay, can I do more with this mediumship? Mm -hmm. So I think it's important to look at when key significant friends come into your life. What was going on in your life? Why did they enter at that moment? Or did spirit make it so obvious that there was a connection there? And I mean, I've shared this story about why I do what I do is because the woman and we had so many similarities in our lives and 
right down to our mothers have the same birthday, our sons have the same birthday, we have the same kind of dog, our husband who died at the same age that my father died, they had the same name, same profession. I mean, it was ridiculous what spirit lined up for me to be friends with this woman. And that was a huge, huge catalyst in my coming out of the intuitive closet and doing this work professionally. So, and she's still, she's still a very, very dear friend of mine. Um, but I think that that's, but we had no contact. It was very serendipitous how she came into my life. But I think that there's having that soul connection with people is why we're here. And if sometimes if we're not able to have that with our family of origin, I think we find each other. I do too. And I don't think that Rachel or Amanda have to look at necessarily why, because I think the why is clear in their story together. You know, they've, they've been there for each other each step of the way. And even the how I think is beyond us. I, I believe that we create our soul plan before we come to earth and that we schedule key people to come into our lives at certain moments to help us further us along on our path. But I think that everything that she shared, their, their numbers being so in sync like that, showing up in similar outfits, I mean, all of that shows that they're on the same wavelength. Yeah, they, their, their frequencies match. Yeah. I went to an Akashic reader once years ago, and she said everyone is born on a different ray. I still don't know what she meant by that. Do uh-huh. I don't know. But she said I, I came in on the seventh ray. And I'll always be attracted to people who also were born in the seventh ray. Hmm. Yeah, I don't really know exactly what that means. But I do think that there are just some people that vibrate at the same energetic level as us that just, you know, like a puzzle piece complete us in some way. Or they have such a similar story line. Uh, I spoke with someone recently and it was funny because so many of the things were her story was my story growing up it matched almost frighteningly so and i mean it got to the point where we laughed about it but that wasn't a coincidence that wasn't there was a reason that our paths crossed for validation for both of us i think yeah and i think that's important now i have i have two really really close lifelong friends one i just told you all about The other one comes from like a super functional, normal family, which is weird for me, right? Like, (laughs) it's really weird. Like, she'll say, oh my gosh, only four more days till I get to see my mom. And I'm like, really? Really? She just loves her family. They love her. It's so beautiful. And yet she's been super instructive to me and given me so much hope that you know, you can't, like, I can create that functioning normal family for my own children, even though I didn't come from it. And yet the friend I just told everyone about, she has her own similar issues as I did growing up. And oh, what a relief and what a bonding moment for me to be able to call her up and go, God, I hate my mom today. And know that there's no judgment. There's no, oh, how could you say that? There's just, yeah, I totally get it. And so I, I think you're right. Having those, those, those things in common about your childhood is so important. I mean, like they shared, having an incarcerated parent, that's an uncommon bond. Wouldn't you agree? Yes. And yet yeah. what a fantastic bond. Very few people are going to understand 
what it is like to have a parent absent and not absent in that way. Exactly. Those two are going to get it. And just having their numbers in common, that is, that is just icing on the cake. It is. Do you find that you're attracted to people from similar horoscope astrological signs? Um, yes, actually, because Jen, the astrologist, saw him, we laugh about, you know, our Sag is showing because we're both very blunt in kind of what you see is what you get. Um, one of my dearest friends in the world is an Aquarian and she, my, I have Aquarius rising. So I do, I think there's something I love. I I'm drawn to specific um, signs of the Zodiac more than others. It seems you as well. Yeah, me too. I've noticed that, that certain, certain signs, you know, I have more Virgos and Libras or Capricorns and Sages and Aries and Tauruses in my life than, than the other signs. And I wonder if there's a reason for that. Oh, you know, I wanted to mention, Denise, one of our former students, Emily McCall, Mm -hmm. she has created her own podcast called Good Juju Only. And she's doing fantastic work with astrology. Oh, that's great. Yeah. I just, I love to see our students go on and, and succeed and excel. So she had me on her podcast. And at the end, she did um, an astrology reading for me. It oh, very was cool. so fascinating. So I just wanted to give a shout out to Emily. Check out Good Juju Only Podcast. I think you guys will like her. That's so fun. Uh, our next one. I've always been an empath, and I'm wondering if these recent events are related, and if so, how I can help them. I work in a gynecological oncology center and have been since February. This is without a doubt the most stressful job I've ever had. Weirdly enough, since I've started working there, I have had now two GYN-related issues that I had to seek medical attention for, and I've never had these issues before. I'm nervous that I may be stressed and taking on some of the energy of my patients, or maybe I'm crazy. I don't know. And it's just like bad timing, any advice. Um, Right out of the gate, neither one of us are medical people or play one on TV or pretend to have any medical experience. So always, always divert to your practitioner for true medical help if, if you're having an issue. I guess part of me is thinking, I, oh, this is a tough one, because I know that when I'm talking to people, I can physically, at times, not all the time, I can physically feel things going on with them as an empath, as a sensitive. As far as manifesting or maybe that's not the right word developing health issues because of a circumstance i don't know yeah i've never had that either i'm wondering if maybe she had these issues but wasn't aware of them until she started working at a facility that could recognize the symptoms because i've never heard of an empath physically taking on the ailments now an empath can physically feel the, the ailments. So, you know, right. if you're dealing with someone who has endometriosis, when you're talking to them, you might have cramping, but when you walk away from them and their energy, the cramping goes away. Right. I could be wrong. I've just never read about it or heard about it. Same. I agree with you completely on that one. Ne- but- nevertheless, I do think it's extra important for her to practice psychic protection you know, and put up those extra barriers in her aura when she goes to work. 
So I would recommend that she keep a Numite or Shungite or black tourmaline in her pocket or wear one around her neck. Those are excellent stones for grounding and deflecting energy coming your way, as is shiny hematite. And that's the whole job of hematite. It uses the natural black sheen to deflect any, any negativity coming toward you. Those are great examples. And I agree with you. Protecting yourself energetically is so, so important uh, for all of us. Okay, our next one says, Hi, I'm looking for suggestions on how to reconnect or just connect to my spirit guide. I have for several months not been feeling like I'm working well with my guide like I had for years. I know guides can come and go, and I'm not sure where mine is right now. Well, Denise, if I had a dollar for every email I've received in this past summer with this question, I wouldn't be a millionaire, but I'd be pretty rich. (laughs) (laughs) So I just want to say you're not alone. I do think that the energy right now is denser. There was a time this summer where, what, like seven planets were in retrograde or something huge. Didn't we have like a, a big yes. time this summer where there was a lot of retrogrades and now we've got Mars retrograde and a couple of others still retrograding. Mercury's going to be retrograding soon. There's a lot of fear in the air as we just talked about earlier on in the show. So I think the energy right now is like molasses you know, as a, as a metaphor. And so connecting within and then up to our guides is going to take more work this time of year, I think, than normal. And I also want to just say that connecting with our guides takes a long time. Before I had a connection with my guide, my main guide, it took me almost a year of meditating each week with the express purpose and intention of making that connection with him. So this isn't anything that's going to happen easily or overnight for most of us. I'm sure there's people out there who just chitty chat with their God all the time, and God bless you. But most of us, we have to really, really work at it. Even when I have been able to have connections with my guides, it's so, I don't want to say infrequent, but it's so um, not the norm that I remember every single meditation experience, piece of advice or a gift of downloaded information they've given me. It's not like every single day I'm tapping in and hearing from my guide. And so I just want to put that out there as someone who teaches about connecting with guides and has worked really hard to develop a relationship with my own guides. It's never easy. It's always important. It's always worthwhile, but it's not easy. And I know that when everything is going well in my life and my energy is high and I'm emotionally and spiritually healthy and just feeling grounded and like, whew, everything's great, then the connection is easy. But when I'm worried or stressed out or bogged down with work and I get in that rinse and repeat hamster cycle of life, I have a really hard time connecting with my guide, which is why in those times of my life, I rely on signs. And this is why I am constantly telling people, Please choose a sign that you can give to your guide to show you. Anything in nature, a song, a certain musician, are probably the best signs you can give. But be specific. Don't say, show me a bird to let me know you're around, because then you're not going to know. Is it that cardinal? Is it that crow? Be really specific. So you want to say, hey, I'm trying to connect with my main guide. Or you can say, My intention is to link in with the guide who is working most closely with me now. 
I believe we have a team of guides around us. We have one main guide who's with us from our first breath to our last and beyond. And then we have a series of guides who come and go to help us at different junctures of our life. And so you can always ask to link in with your main guide or the one who's working most closely with you at this juncture of your life now. And then choose a sign like a yellow butterfly, a red cardinal, um, a frog, or a certain song that you love and ask that guide to show you that sign in an unusual way that you will recognize. And then just pay attention. Journal every time you see that sign. Start to note what was going on in my day when I saw that sign. What was I thinking about just before that hawk flew over my car as I was driving to work? Most importantly, when you do see that sign, say thank you. The word thank you, the emotion of gratitude, is what truly builds the bridge to the other side. You know, there's this wonderful story I've read many times about this guardian angel who's giving his person a tour of where all the guardian angels in heaven hang out. And there's this huge room and it's crowded and everyone's filtering through all these envelopes. And he's like, this is where we go through all the prayer requests. And then there's this other room and it's filled with all these beds. And he's like, this is where we send healing to people who are asking for our healing. And he goes from crowded room to crowded room explaining what all the different angels are doing. And it's all busy and crowded and chaotic and fun and interesting. And they get to this one room and it's completely empty. And the person says to his angel, what's going on here? Why is this room empty? And the guardian angel says, this is where we receive the thanks. Oh. I know. And that story always stands out to me because so often we forget to say thank you. You know, there are invisible helpers are working hard for us. And yet so often we get bogged down in our own worry, our own hopes, our own expectations, our own stress. We don't see the invisible help that they're offering. And very often we don't see it until it's well in our rearview mirror. And then we think, oh my God, I had so much help. I wasn't even aware. It doesn't matter if you recognize that 5, 10, 20 years down the road, say thank you. It's a, it's a beautiful building block to establishing a strong, solid link with your guide. Yes. The energies are very dense right now. It, they're still out there, though. They're still with you. So even if you're not feeling that connection, you're never completely alone in this. Believe it or not, there are very few books out there on connecting with your spirit guide. A lot of books will mention it in a chapter or so. But Richard Webster, I think he's Australian or New Zealand writer. He has a very good book on how to connect with your spirit guide. And Ted Andrews has a really good book on connecting with your guide. It's called The Intercession of Spirits, Working with Animals, Angels, and Ancestors. Oh. And if you love Ted Andrews, as I do, this is the only book I have come across of his that actually gives some biographical information about his life. Usually he's just in teacher mode, but this story talks about how he connected with his spirit and animal guide. So you might enjoy that as well. I think I know in my own life, when I'm reading about something I'm interested in, when I'm working hard to make that connection, when I'm like, I remember when I was trying to find out who my guardian angel was, I made it my mission to buy every crystal recommended for connecting with your guardian angel. I bought every book I can from, you know, the idiot's guide to working with your angel. 
to Lorna Barnes' great book, Angel in My Hair. I bought every book on connecting with your guardian angel, and eventually I did have a connection, and I did learn one of my angel's names. So I think when we put the work in, whether it's through reading or working with crystals or meditating or just asking them to send us signs, they will respond. Yes, I agree entirely. That's all wonderful, wonderful information, too. So thank you, everybody, for sending in those fantastic and intriguing questions. We really love to hear from you guys. Wanted to remind you all that Denise and I are teaching our Mediumship 101 class during the lunchtime hour on Fridays in October. Our advanced mediumship class is in November, evenings and Tuesday. If you'd like information, you can email Denise or I through our website. Mine is samanthafay.com. And Denise's is thegratefulmessenger.com. What we love about this class is that you get interactive practice each week with a new partner from class. You also get some meditation downloads to enhance your mediumship. Lots of handouts in class live practice. Each class is recorded and emailed to you the next day. So if you miss one, it's no big deal. You can always watch the recording. And you also get invited to our private Facebook group with all the other mediums who have taken our class in the past years so you can continue to grow your community of like-minded thinkers and friends. So please check that out at one of our websites and we'll email you a survey and some more information about the course. Denise, do you have anything fun coming up? I do. Uh, Jennifer and I from Thank Goddess, our resident astrologer that we have come on the show often, we, we had talked about doing a retreat twice that got bumped because of COVID, but we're going to do this virtually Saturday, October 3rd and Sunday, October 4th in the morning. So it's about a day and a half. And we're going to do a lot on intuition, moon manifestation, self-care. It's a really fun, fun, fun day. So if you want more information on that, you can go to thankgoddess.org or you can go to my website, thegratefulmessenger.com. Also, I'm going to be offering the intuitive tarot class again in October, and it will be late mornings, Eastern Standard Time. So if you're West Coast, you could still get a a copy of it. Um, If you're not able to attend because it's early in the morning, there will be a video of that available. So that is also on my site, The Grateful Messenger. Oh, that'll be exciting. I love the way you teach and understand tarot. You gave me one of my best tarot tips. <laughs> what one was when that? You said, well, I was complaining that the tarot doesn't really tell time all that well. Mm-hmm. And so you said if you're doing a Celtic cross spread and you've done all the cards and you've got your outcome card, then you keep flipping until you get to a major arcana card. And right. that will give you an idea of the time. It's sometimes frighteningly accurate. and Right, so if the last card in the Celtic cross layout is not a major card, if it's a major card, then it's usually indicative that things are going to come to fruition within a month of when, of the, that's usually a timeline with that. So that is fun. Yeah, and I love those little intuitive clues and tips that you have. So I highly encourage everyone to check out your oh, intuitive tarot class. Thank you. Well, thank you. And thanks everyone to listening. As always, please remember to show up, do great work and share your light. Take care.